and welcome to episode 21. As always, thank you. Thank you for clicking that play button. We're going to be continuing to revisit some films from the past and the present. Some of them that are well-loved and well-remembered. In some cases, maybe you forgot how much you loved them, and maybe in other cases, a little bit of either or not enough of both. Or maybe in some cases... Maybe not so much of either. And if this is not your first time listening, then chances are you have heard me use that quote from actress Lauren Bacall more than once. She said, it's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. So right now, it is the month of September. It's September 2021 as of this recording. And that means that another summer season is officially drawn to a close. So now everything from coffee to lattes to candles to Windex to brake fluid is either pumpkin flavored or pumpkin scented. And for kids and parents and families everywhere, that also means that everywhere you look, you have the first day of school photos plastered all over social media. There's new daily schedules and new classes, new teachers and new schools. The wee ones are now in kindergarten and the older ones, they might be starting up with middle school or high school or college and some are leaving home for the first time. And all of this brings us to what today's and next episode's focus is going to be, gearing up for a new school year. Not everyone has school-aged kids, of course, in their families. Some may not even have stepped foot in the classroom since their own school days, but we all see the back-to-school sales. We all walk into a store, we see the clothing on sale, the school supplies, and all of that. The adjustments to daily commutes, the school buses are back on their routes, and a lot of movies tackle all of this stuff, sometimes for laughs, sometimes for sentiment. And so for the first time in this podcast, there is a two-parter. In this episode, we're going to take a look at two movies that you could probably call dramas, and they are. They're also, I guess you could say, inspirational in their own ways, maybe a little sentimental even. And then next time, we'll look at a couple of comedies that will end this tufa with a laugh. And then next time, next episode, we'll take a look at a couple of school-focused comedies so that we can end this two-patter on a high note, on a laugh. And then get ready, because by that point, it's going to be late September, and that means one thing, the upcoming Halloween season. But for this episode, again, we got two dramas, both with young kids front and center as the main characters, both dealing with struggles. Financial struggles, social, familial, and some even racial. And these two movies are 1998's October Sky, starring a young Jake Gyllenhaal, as well as a pair of Oscar winners, Laura Dern and Chris Cooper. It's based on the true story of a high school-aged kid who, with a few of his friends in their coal mining town in 1957, Colwood, West Virginia, they see Sputnik in the sky, and they're inspired to build their own rocket. The other film is 2006's Aquila and the Bee, starring Kiki Palmer, Angela Bassett, and Lawrence Fishburne. A work of fiction, but it is about a tough-talking, streetwise seventh grader. She's an African-American girl living in South Los Angeles. She seems to be heading nowhere, academically speaking, until her instinctive knack for words and language land her in the midst of a nationwide spelling bee. So as we dive into these two crowd-pleasing inspirational dramas. As usual, there's a shout-out to some choice line of dialogue, like this one from Aquila and the Bee. Kick his butt, Aquila! B-U-T-T butt! I am your movie-loving host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. We'll begin with the customary spoiler-free premise of both films, then there's going to be a friendly spoiler alert as we go into the countdown of behind-the-scenes fun facts, and then we'll wrap it up with the trivia segment, trivia results from last episode, the online poll results, and the shout-outs and acknowledgements to you and all of your feedback and contributions and your own creative endeavors. 
So let's begin with this look at the premise of October Sky. This was first released in theaters in 1999. I remember seeing it before I had any knowledge of who this Jake Gyllenhaal kid was. This is before Donnie Darko, it's before Moonlight Mile, it's before his Oscar-nominated work in Brokeback Mountain. Laura Dern, I already knew from Jurassic Park and her Emmy-nominated guest appearance on the coming-out episode of The Ellen DeGeneres Show. That was in 1997. October Sky is based on the true story of a teenager in a West Virginia town called Colwood. It's a coal mining town. It's the true story of this kid at the dawn of the space age. It begins in 1957. And Hall plays Homer Hickam. He is the son of a coal miner in town who's completely captivated with the news reports and the sights of the Russian satellite Sputnik that's just been launched. This is the world's first artificial satellite. It was about the size of a beach ball. He's enamored of the idea of rocket launching, and so together with a few friends, they decide that they're going to design, build, and launch rockets of their own. And Laura Dern, she plays Frida Riley. She's the physics and chemistry teacher at Big Creek High School. She's pretty much their cheerleader throughout all of it. So he does get a lot of pushback from his classmates. You have to have the adversity in these stories, of course. And some of the pushback even comes from his own brother and his own father. A little bit about the depiction of the brother, by the way. He's a football hero, and he leads the mockery, pretty much. He's, he's kind of a tool, and he tells all of his friends about what Homer is doing, and a pretty big crowd at the beginning of the film, they show up at his first rocket launch, pretty much to see him fall flat in his face in front of them, so that they can point and laugh and, you know, basically turn it into a Carrie White situation. They're all going to laugh at you. But props to Miss Riley, who shows up for the launch. She says to him, Homer, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You remember that. Now go launch yourself a rocket. Okay, can I just tell you how much I love this character? She's filling the role for him that his father and his brother are supposed to be filling. Classic underdog situation that Homer is in. She even, at one point, gifts him a book called Principles of Guided Missile Design for his birthday. So, this first launch is a success, and Miss Riley, she's all proud of him. She walks up to him, and she says with this big grin on her face, what do you think about getting in that science fan now? And he smiles back at her, and he replies with this huge grin in his face, this infectious energy. He says, I think we got a chance. Now, juxtapose that with Homer's no-nonsense father, John, who expects that Homer is just going to do what most of the boys in the town do, which is graduate from high school, never leave town, and join their fathers in the coal mines. Sort of a predetermined fate. So, Papa John tells Homer... Take an interest in your own damn town instead of wasting your time on Cape Canaveral. And Miss Riley, she faces backlash of her own when the principal of the school, Mr. Turner, tells her, he says, our job is to give these kids an education, not false hopes. And she says back to him, false hopes? Do you want me to sit quiet and let them breathe in coal dust the rest of their life? And he goes, once in a while, a lucky one will get out in a football scholarship. The rest of them work in the mines. And she comes back with, how about I believe in the unlucky ones? I have to, Mr. Turner, or I'd go out of my mind. So there's the spoiler-free setup of October Sky. And we'll get into the behind-the-scenes fun facts once we take a look at Aquila and the Bee. So let's leave West Virginia behind and head out to the west coast of the U.S. to Los Angeles, California. The film opens with a very catchy, it's a rhythmic spelling of the name Aquila. And it's set to a hip-hop beat as we're treated to a few images of downtown Los Angeles. You have graffiti spray-painted on a wall. You have traffic at an intersection. 
You see pedestrians on the sidewalk. There's an alleyway between two cramped homes. You see railroad tracks. Meanwhile, you hear voiceover narration jumping right in. And it's Akila, played by Kiki Palmer. And she says in the narration, quote, You know that feeling where no matter what you do or where you go, you just don't fit in? I don't know the word for that. Alienation? Estrangement? Incompatibility? Nah, those ain't right. But there's gotta be a word for it, because that's how I feel all the time. My name's Akila Anderson, and I'm 11 years old. And this all starts at Crenshaw Middle School in South Los Angeles. End quote. Then we're inside her classroom. As her teacher is returning these spelling tests, she's walking up and down the rows and returning papers, and the teacher is saying, You're all in the seventh grade now, and I know you can do better than this, so when I give you a list of words, study them. And then she stops at Akila's desk, and she says, Akila, how long did you study for the spelling test? And Akila responds, I didn't. There's some snickering in the class. The teacher gives her the test face down and says, see me after class. And the class laughs a little bit more. Akila turns the paper over and sees that she got a perfect score. She got a 100%. And rather than looking happy or relieved, interestingly, she looks away really more in frustration. And then cut to after school in the classroom, and the teacher is sitting at her desk. Akila's standing in front of the desk, and she says to her, you know, you could be one of my very best students, but you don't turn in half your homework. And sometimes you don't even show up for class. What's going on? And Akila just sort of, you know, murmurs, I don't know. And then the teacher says, have you heard of next week's spelling bee? And Akila says, no. Well, I think you should sign up for it. And she hands her a flyer advertising the spelling bee. And Akila's now walking home with her best friend, Georgia. And Georgia says to her, so what did the teacher want? And small talk like that. And, and Akila says, eh, just talking about some stupid-ass spelling bee. And then Georgia asks her, you're going to do it? You'd probably be good. And Akila says, and get up in front of everybody? I'd probably pee my pants. So she just crumples up the flyer. She tosses it on the ground. And then small talk resumes, and they continue on their way. And then now she's at home, and she's playing some computer-based Scrabble games. So the idea is, is that what we're seeing is that despite all of her tough talk, she really does have this natural inclination to do word games and word puzzles. And it's, you know, it's it's instinct for her. It's something that's, you know, it's it's a... It's a knack that she has. And she, here she is playing this Scrabble game on the computer, and she's all excited about getting this high score. Her older sister comes in saying, dinner's on the table, and she says, well, no, I'm about to get a high score. Wait a minute. And the sister says, no, mama says now. And so what we're getting really is just the idea that Akila is really drawn to this stuff, and she's just going to be damned if anybody's going to know about it. Meanwhile, her older brother, he's home on leave from the military. And dinner begins, and her mother says to her, I'm hearing that you're skipping class. You're not going to be getting anywhere in life if you and your friend keep doing that and the brother turns to her and says to her you better not be skipping class mother says to her go turn off the tv it's dinner time so akila goes over to the tv obediently and she's about to turn it off when what does she see on the screen but the results of the scripts national spelling bee and what she sees is the news footage of the champion at her moment of victory and this is probably a contrived moment. I mean, let's be honest. You know, it just so happens that this happens to be what's on the screen at the second that she walks up to the TV to turn it off. This kind of thing happens in movies all the time. It's deus ex machina at its finest. You know, plot convenience. You name a movie, and it's there. 
but we can forgive it. So she sees this champion, you know, just reacting to the news that she just won the spelling bee. That inspires her after dinner to hunker down to take a look at some vocabulary words. And the next day at school, unfortunately, there are two girls, two classmates, who corner her outside and they threaten her and they demand that she does their English homework and they call her a brainiac and that kind of thing. But at that moment, Mr. Welch, the principal, he's walking by and he intervenes. And a little side note about Mr. Welch, he is played by, of all actors, Curtis Armstrong. And if you do not know Curtis Armstrong by name, you probably have seen some of his most uh, memorable comedies from the 1980s. He was in Better Off Dead with John Cusack, and in that movie he utters the line, hey, I've been going to this high school for seven years. I'm no dummy. He was also in Risky Business. He was Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. He was in Bad Medicine with Steve Gutenberg and Julie Haggerty. And of course, he was in Revenge of the Nerds too. Mustn't forget that one. But anyway, Curtis Armstrong, he's now playing the principal. This is sort of like a Matthew Broderick career move, I guess, going from playing Ferris Bueller to playing the history teacher in Election. And that got Matthew Broderick some good critical reviews. So maybe Curtis Armstrong was hoping the same would happen for him. Either way, he intervenes and he stops these two girls from bothering Akila. And through this conversation, what he has with Akila in his office afterwards, we learn that she was actually able to skip the second grade that she was smart enough to skip a grade. So he's encouraging her now to do the spelling bee. And he tells her that whoever does win this school-wide spelling bee will go on to districts and will represent Crenshaw Middle School. And Akila, with her tough talk and her defensiveness and her bravado, she basically insults him. And she says, why would anybody want to represent a school that can't even put doors on the toilet stalls? He looks at her and sort of, you know, clears his throat a little bit and says, Akila, if we can't show our students can perform... We're not going to have money for books, let alone bathroom doors. Now, I want you to do the B today, all right? And she says, why? So everyone can call me a freak and a brainiac? And no, nah, she says, I ain't down for no spelling bee. And then he resorts to the oldest trick in the book, <laughs> an ultimatum. He says, well, maybe you'd be down for spending the rest of the semester in detention for all of your absences from when you cut school. So guess who enters the spelling bee? And it's Crenshaw Middle School's first school-wide spelling bee. So she's doing it begrudgingly, and she wins. In the audience, Mr. Welch has an old college friend of his. And this college friend, who's in the audience, he's intrigued. He gets up after she wins in front of the whole room. He begins to hurl more words at her. Spell this and spell that. The moderators of the spelling bee are saying, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, the spelling bee's over and she's just won. He ignores them and he just continues to throw more words at her. And she keeps spelling them and she's getting them all right until he finally trips her up on one. And once she is tripped up on the word that he throws out at her, those same two girls who are demanding that she do their homework, they laugh at her and they're calling out things like, she ain't so smart and that kind of thing. Akila runs off in humiliation and she's angry. You know, they're laughing at me. And we find out that Mr. Welch's college friend, played by Lawrence Fishburne, is Dr. Joshua Larrabee, who used to be the English chair at UCLA. When he was a kid, he went to the Nationals, and he thinks that Akilah has a pretty good chance of going to the Nationals herself. And he offers her some, you know, some words of wisdom, which might be cliched, but still, there's truth to them. He says, they laugh, those girls, they're laughing at you because you intimidate them. And then he turns to Mr. Welch, Curtis Armstrong, and says, the girl has potential, but she needs to be coached. And so Mr. Welch and Akila, now they're sitting in his office, and he's saying to her, Akila, 
You're now going to districts, and you're going to be going up against kids from Santa Monica and Woodland Hills and Beverly Hills. Some of these kids have been doing this for years, and they've never made it to D.C. And you need to train hard with Dr. Larrabee if you're going to beat them all and get to D.C. And she angrily retorts, I don't need no coach. He says, look, the best spellers in the world have coaches, and I finally got Dr. Larrabee to consider taking some time from his sabbatical to work with you, so work with me here, honey. <laughs> and so he gives her a VHS tape of last year's spelling bee and says, watch this, it'll give you a feel for the way it works, and maybe even some of the words, and so she's watching this VHS tape of last year's spelling bee, and she's studying it, and getting a feel for the way it all works, when another brother, not the one in the military, but a different one, he's more of a troublemaker, this one, he walks in on her, and he's, you know, been late, you know, it's late at night, he just walked in late, and she says, where you been, mama's worried, and he says, what are you looking at, and she says, spelling bee, and he says to her, quote, Oh yeah, I heard about that. You're going up against a bunch of rich white kids, end quote. She looks confused. She's also scared that he's right, that she could very well have no chance. And I'll stop there as far as the premise of Aquila and the Bee. I think that's more than enough to set the whole story up. So let's move now into the top 10 fun facts about both of these films. So here now is your friendly spoiler warning. If you have not seen these films, if you have not seen them in a while, go ahead, go back, rewatch, rewatch either one, rewatch both, catch clips on YouTube, whatever works for you, and then come on back and enjoy these top 10 fun facts. And first, October Sky. Number 10, the movie is based on the real Homer Hickam Jr.'s book, which is called Rocket Boys. The book first began as an article for Smithsonian Magazine before Homer Hickam expanded it into his book, which was published in September of 1998 and became a New York Times bestseller. The movie was already in production, though, before the book launched. Production on the movie began in February of 98, so same year but months earlier in Knoxville and in Petros, both in Tennessee. And production lasted a few months. It ended in April of 98. So the book actually came out after principal photography wrapped and everything was already in the can. Number nine, Hickam did not really care for the way that the movie depicts his father. In the movie, the father's name is John, but in real life, his name was Homer. A little side note, why did they do this? The producers apparently felt that having two characters named Homer would confuse audiences not really giving us too much credit for our intelligence. And the real-life Homer, he did not like that they renamed his father. And he too thought, hey, let's give moviegoers a little bit of credit here. And in a bonus feature in the DVD, he actually said, quote, One thing to know about my dad, whose name was Homer Hickam, not John, as they said in the movie, was that he was a great intellectual who loved to read. We had books stacked all over the house, magazines. Anytime my dad got a moment to sit down, he had a book in his hand. He was also one of the best mining engineers in the county, even though he did not have a college degree. And the fact that he didn't have a degree stuck in his craw to a certain extent. He was only able to go up to a certain point in the coal company and not pass that because of his lack of a degree, even though he was a self-taught mining engineer. End quote. And can I just tell you, that expression, when you have something stuck in your craw, that's just a great expression. <laughs> Number eight, the real-life Homer Jr. graduated from high school in 1960 and from Virginia Tech in 1964. His Bachelor of Science degree is in Industrial Engineering. 
He went on to serve as first lieutenant in the 4th Infantry Division in Vietnam from 1967 to 1968. He even got the Army Commendation and the Bronze Star Medals. He spent a total of six years on active duty, left the service, and at the time that he left the service, he had reached the level of captain. Number seven, the title of the book, again, Rocket Boys. The movie's producers wanted to appeal to female viewers as well. They wanted to broaden the demographic. So Hickam wrote in his blog in 1999, quote, After marketing surveys by Universal Studios, indicating that Rocket Boys as a movie title would not attract the female over age 30 demographic, the film was retitled and released as October Sky. Interestingly, October Sky is an anagram of Rocket Boys. Same letters, just moved around. This was discovered by director Joe Johnston using an anagram program on his computer. Since he had just recently completed editing the scene where we boys watched Sputnik act through the October sky, he thought the title to be cosmically inspired. End quote. Number six, going back to Miss Frida Riley. In the movie's climactic scene, she's seen in a hospital bed, and she's unable to watch Homer launch his final rocket. But this is a little bit of Hollywood dramatization. She was sick in real life, but she was there for the final launch. She died in 1969 of Hodgkin's disease, nine years after he and his friends had graduated from high school. In fact, during his college years, he went back to his old high school to visit her on occasion. So they kept in touch. They maintained a relationship beyond his high school years. Number five. She was determined to keep doing her best as both a teacher and as a person. He wrote of Miss Riley on his website, quote, To the last, she insisted on teaching even when it was necessary for her students to carry her on a stretcher to her classroom, end quote. That is some dedication right there. If a little, I don't know, hey, everyone does what they can, but uh, I don't know how people would react to that. Number four, in the movie, Homer is seen asking one of his father's employees named Ike Bykovsky for help with some welding. And this character is actually a composite of real miners that Homer knew. But in the film, Homer's father sends Bykovsky back to the mines from the welding area. It's punishment because Bykovsky was using company machinery to help Homer without, without permission to use that machinery. And there really was a miner who died in a mining accident, just as the movie shows, but the real-life miner's name was never released. The real-life Homer would say, quote, I killed a man, in effect, end quote. So he carries that guilt with him to this day that had that guy not been helping him with the welding, then he would not have been punished and sent back to the mines, and he would not have been there when the mining accident occurred. Number three, Homer's father really did launch the last rocket, just as the movie depicts in the film's final scene, so that was actually not a piece of Hollywood to make things more sentimental and more dramatic. And just like in the movie, this was the only launch that his father was there to see. This was them launching their last few remaining rockets. It was after they had graduated from high school, and it was right before they went off to college for the first time on their scholarships. And apparently, a lot of the town did show up, just as they do in the movie as well. Number two, the movie depicts everything as happening in the span of about one year, but in reality, it was over three years. I mean, you think about it, you cannot take anybody's life story that spans several years and tell it in a two-hour movie or an hour-and-a-half-long movie without 
compromising and, you know, condensing and revising, eliminating a little bit of fabrication. You have to compress for a film. So it's understandable as to why. So Homer said that the real-life Mr. Turner, the principal, that he saw them as, quote, bomb builders or worse. So he did worry about what we were doing. He certainly did not want to have Big Creek High School's name attached to it. It would be a little later, actually, before Miss Riley got involved with us. We had actually been working almost a year before she became involved, end quote. And number one, in the movie, in a nice little tribute, the final rocket that's launched is named after Miss Riley. You see the name Miss Riley painted along the side of the rocket, but in real life, that's not what happened. It was called Ock 31, O-C-K. But the real-life Homer said that he wishes that he, quote, had the presence of mind to have done that in real life, end quote. He prefers how the movie had him acknowledge her that way and says that he wishes that he had thought of doing that on his own. And there you are. So here is your friendly spoiler warning as we now move into the top 10 fun facts about Aquila and the Bee. Number 10, a writer and director who at the time was in his late 20s, Doug Acheson, he watched the 1994 National Spelling Bee on ESPN, and he began to spell the words along with the contestants, and he was cheering the kids on that he saw on the TV, and he realized this could be a movie. Now, this was back in 1994, so over the next 10 years, he worked on the story in his head. He saw that a majority of the kids competing came from fairly well-off socioeconomic backgrounds, so he decided that his movie needed to go in the direction of depicting a young character with the natural ability to do this kind of thing, but without the resources or the support or the coaching that some of the more privileged kids had. He knew that the character should be like some of the kids that he himself knew when he was in film school at USC, University of Southern California. He was volunteering at a youth center in South LA called Home, and he was a mentor and he was a tutor. And so he kept watching the spelling bee every year, and this idea of a young girl kept coming back into his head, and he realized that the story, her story, was taking shape in his mind. So he didn't write for about four or five years and went on a hike with a friend, and the friend said to him, you know what, you're afraid to write it because you don't think it's for you. And Doug Atchison says it clicked, like, like an alarm clock went off in his head. That is Akilah's fear in the movie, why she's apprehensive about doing the spelling bee, because she does not think that the spelling bee is for her. And he says that's what brought him into the story. He said as soon as that connection was made, thanks to what my friend said, I knew every scene, every character, every beat. Number nine, if you have ever had a cup of coffee from Starbucks or a latte or a muffin or a scone or anything from Starbucks, Aquila and the Bee is Starbucks Corporation's first foray into the movie business. It had already sold some music from performing artists like uh, Ray Charles and Prince selling the CDs in their stores, but the coffee retailer was now hoping to break it into the movie biz, so they got a cut of the box office and DVD sales from Lionsgate Studios. This is the independent studio that distributed the film, Lionsgate. So they funded the film, Starbucks, take a look at the opening credits, <laughs> Starbucks Presents, and they sold copies of the DVD in their stores once the movie finished its theatrical run. Number eight, a casting could have been. According to one of the producers of Aquila and the Bee, Danny Lulin, they originally had in mind Sidney Poitier 
and the character of Dr. Larrabee was much older. They ended up rewriting the character so that he was considerably younger, and they went for Lawrence Fishburne. Fortunately for them, Lawrence Fishburne was willing to sign on at a pretty affordable rate, something that met their budget, and he also went on to become one of the film's producers. Number seven. According to the DVD featurette, Lawrence Fishburne said that he was, quote, heartbroken, end quote, for falling in love with the story as much as he did, because, quote, the chances of getting a movie like this made were pretty slim. Essentially, it's a love story, a father-daughter love story, and I was pretty moved by that, end quote. Not the character of Akila. She's lost her father when she was six years old. He was shot. The character of Dr. Larrabee, he lost his daughter to an illness. And then after that, he and his wife had drifted apart from each other, and the marriage ended. So they both find sort of a personal redemption in the relationship that they form with each other. Number six, Angela Bassett. She plays Akila's mother. She and Lawrence Fishburne, they both worked together before, back in 1993, on a movie that you may be familiar with called What's Love Got to Do With It? Both of them got Oscar nominations for that 1993 film. She got the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical. So when they worked together on Akila and the Bee, they were thrilled to be collaborating again. Angela Bassett said, quote, The exciting thing has been to re-team with Lawrence after 12 years. We're really easy. We just trust each other. That's the main thing, to trust what the other's gonna do. That you're safe. It's safe to dive and fall, and it's okay. End quote. And the film's director and writer, Doug Atchison, he said, quote, It's not usual that you get actors of that stature and that caliber to be in a film like this, and I think it's of tremendous value to us. End quote. Number five. The movie itself was shot in South Los Angeles, as well as areas around USC and Venice High School for the District B, which also is where they filmed some of the movie Grease. Other filming locations for Aquila and the Bee, USC Bovard Auditorium, and the Hollywood Palladium for the climactic National Bee. Number four. The movie itself was shot over a 31-day schedule, and it was a difficult shoot logistically because so many of the people in the cast, including, of course, Akila herself, they were minors, so they were not allowed to go over 10 hours a day. And with Kiki Palmer, Akila, in practically every scene, talk about logistical nightmare in terms of scheduling. So the movie did manage to make it in on time and came in safely within the budget of $6 million. Number three. They recreated the spelling bee for the movie with total authenticity. This is a real-life spelling bee. The Scripps National Spelling Bee, S-C-R-I-P-P-S. The executive director at the time of the spelling bee, Hage Kimball. She was asked by the director of the film to review the script. And somebody else who was asked to take a look at the script was the spelling bee, the real-life spelling bee's official pronouncer, Jacques Bailey, a professor of Greek and Latin at the University of Vermont. He himself was a winner in this spelling bee back in 1980. Number two. At 2004's National Bee, the movie producers, when they were putting this production together, they spotted a young contestant at the 2004 spelling bee. His name, George Hornado. He was 12 years old at the time, and they offered him a small role in the movie as a character named Roman. He accepted. So he went from being a spelling bee contestant to appearing in a small role in the film as one of the spellers. 
And he said in one of the DVD featurettes, he laughed, quote, I mean, who uses these words in real life? They're insane. <laughs> They're really hard. And I think people just like to watch that. End quote. He actually took a break from his schoolwork to go out to Los Angeles to play in the film. He actually also helped the cast and the crew spell and pronounce a lot of these words correctly. He was sort of the, uh, the spell checker. And he went on to become a two-time National Spelling Bee finalist in 2004 and 2005. Today, he is now an attorney in Ice Miller's Public Affairs Group in Indiana. And number one, the talented Kiki Palmer who plays Akila Anderson. 300 girls auditioned for the role of Akila in Los Angeles, Atlanta, and New York. Palmer herself, she auditioned five times before finally nabbing the role, and the director ultimately went with her because he felt that she would understand the role and make the character her own. And there you have the fun facts for Akila and the Bee. And that brings us to the final segment, the poll and trivia. Thank you to everybody who did vote in the poll. The poll asked this week over social media which challenge you yourself would rather take on, building rockets or participating in a nationwide high-pressure spelling bee. And the final tally from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, eight for rocket building and what you see in October Sky, and three for spelling out them words like an Aquila and the bee. And, of course, I am excited by the feedback that came in. Kim M. says, Loved October Sky. Haven't seen Aquila in the Bee, but that looks really good, too. And, indeed, it is. Rewatch, relive, and repeat podcast hosted by Tommy and Shannon. Tommy says, I'm terrible at spelling, but the opportunity to blow some stuff up trying to make a rocket sounds like fun. <laughs> and probably is. Thanks to you for all your contributions. Hopefully you are loving this interaction as much as I am. And to reiterate what I've been saying about the trivia, it doesn't matter what episode you are listening to and when. Even if the answer has already been given in a subsequent episode, go ahead and answer it anyway. Go for it. You'll get a personalized meme and a shout-out, so just have fun. Last time, we talked about the original Star Wars trilogy. I had Mike Davis on from Now This Is Podcasting. The question at the time referred to the fact that the Star Wars trilogy is filled with the repeated dialogue, I have a bad feeling about this, in the original 1977 film, when does Han Solo say those famous words? Is it A, when Greedo confronts him at Mos Eisley Spaceport? Or is it B, in the trash compactor room right before the walls begin moving in? And the correct answer is... B, the trash compactor room. Answering correctly is returning chat Mary C. Mary, you are killing it. Great to see this streak continue. So here is this episode's trivia question. Laura Dern, star of October Sky, she has been nominated twice for an Oscar throughout her career. But which 2019 film finally landed her the Best Supporting Actress prize in early 2020? Send your answers on over. You can contact me through my socials, FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screeners on Facebook, Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram, or you can email me at frankmendoza at yahoo.com. And that wraps up episode 21. Thank you again, as always, for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you could take a second to give this show a rating on Apple or iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, whatever the platform may be, I would appreciate that. It does help to increase the show's visibility. It helps to boost the algorithms. If you want to leave a quick review of Silver Screeners, that would be very much appreciated as well. Thank you, as always, for joining. Rock on. I'm Frank, and until next time, keep on screening. I'll see ya.